we enter this uh, first Sunday of Lent, we begin with the, the temptation passage that we begin with all the always um, coming into Lent, which which is always a little bit of, of whiplash from liturgical whiplash of we, we've had the baptism of Jesus and then we had a lot of other teachings of Jesus that happened after the temptation, now we're going back to the temptation because we have to start with the temptation, which is not so bad. It could be worse. We could preach on the we could preach on the lesson from Romans, which basically reads like a geometry proof of triangles, right? It'll give you it'll give you like PTSD from those side angle side. Yes, therefore Triangle ABC is equal to DEF. If you haven't got PTSD from that, then you obviously just blocked it completely and totally. And good for you for doing that. Um, I mean, indeed, that one passage that ends with is, is basically says, right, Jesus, by his righteousness and lack of sin, undid everything that Adam did in the garden. Um, so therefore, we sort of already knew that. But we come today to, to this passage of the temptation in the wilderness. And this is an important passage um, for, for, a variety of, for a variety of reasons, not the least just because Jesus faced temptation. Because it's, it's very important to recognize that Jesus didn't face temptation like only this time. And that was it. Right? Jesus faced temptation throughout his entire ministry. Jesus faced temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane that we'll get to in a few weeks' time from now, saying, let this cup pass from me. Right? Jesus faces temptation throughout. But this is sort of highlighted and encapsulated like a, sort of like a movie to show forth the, the intensity of that Temptation that he faces um, on, a, on a regular basis from, from Satan. But there's, but there's a few things that really, that really come forward. And the first is that, um, that Jesus has just been baptized, right? We've, we, we did this a couple weeks ago, the baptism of Jesus. And what happens after Jesus is baptized, the Spirit of God falls upon him. And a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, Jesus is famished. And the tempter comes to him. And the first words are, If you are the Son of God. Command these stones become bread. Now, these, this is a temptation that that sort of hits home anyway, because he's been fasting for forty days and forty nights, and he's hungry, right? Sort of an understatement. And if you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But this gets even more so to the identity of Jesus, who's just been told it is baptized. You are my beloved son. And the temptation is, if you are the son of God, then do this. If you're really the son of God, if you're really the beloved son, do you really think you're the beloved son? 
Once you prove it. So we're getting right to the identity of who Jesus is. This, more than anything else, Jesus is being challenged on his identity. Are you the Messiah? Are you a beloved son? And we've talked about this even for us right at the, at the baptism of Jesus. That that isn't just the baptism of Jesus where, where those words are just for Jesus. Right? We who are, we who are um, baptized into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then therefore are baptized into his baptism as well. And that we are called his beloved. And how often do we face temptation of saying, are you really beloved? We know what you think. We know what you do. We know your deep, dark secrets. Do you really think you are beloved of God? You're challenged day by day of that, that voice, that temptation, that thing that as you look in the mirror that says, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not holy enough. You don't know the Bible well enough. And like Jesus, we sort of have to say, I am, right? God says, Scripture says, man doesn't live by bread alone. We have to dispel those same accusations away that we can embrace our identity. And this is what Jesus is facing. His first temptation in the wilderness isn't just, isn't just about hunger, isn't just about shortcuts. It's about his identity as who he is as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And not having to prove it. Man doesn't live by that land, by the very word of God. And so then, we're not done with the challenges to his identity. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself off the temple, right? Angels will catch you. Not one hair of you will be harmed. And this has always seemed to me, you know, a very funny temptation. It doesn't seem much of a temptation to me to throw myself off of the building. Um, but, but in Jesus' case, right, if, if angels catch him, is, is what, what a start, kickstart to the ministry will happen here. Right? If you are the Messiah, the Christ, the one who's come to, to be the redeemer of your people Israel, and you want to get Israel to start to follow, what better way to get a following going than to have angels catch you in the holy city, Jerusalem. But Jesus, one of the reasons that Jesus is in the wilderness, that the Spirit has led him there, is, is to figure out how his ministry is to begin. What type of ministry is he to have? How are you going to be the Messiah of Christ? Yes, this would certainly be a great attention grabber. But it is the type of ministry that is that's that's long lasting. Or is a type of, of ministry that's like, you know, the WWE or the circus or something like that, right? It's something spectacular. But it's very shallow. As it is, Jesus is always throughout his whole ministry the Pharisees, the Sadducees keep saying, even after all of the healings and everything else, why don't you give us a sign? Moses gave us a sign. 
She's like, I don't know how many signs you want. Like billboards or something, just everywhere. Jesus says, you don't put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is out in the wilderness to, to um, not just assume his identity, but that ministry, that that calling. This, I mean, the wilderness is where, where sort of Israel got their identity to begin with, right? Through through trials and tribulations, they became to depend on being the covenant people of God. And Jesus is seeking that same aspect. And the third temptation strikes right to, to the core of everything, which also is, is worship. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. So we've gone from here to here to here. I'll give you all of these if you fall down and worship me. And here, Jesus just cuts the conversation off, right, away from you. Throughout, throughout Lent, we're going to be having, we're going to be seeing conversations and hearing conversations. There's conversations Jesus is willing to have over the next several weeks. Next week is a conversation with Nicodemus and then the conversation with the woman at the well. Then we have the man born blind, the conversation with the Pharisees. And then finally with Mary, with Martha, and his disciples, and Lazarus, um, as, as Lazarus is raised. And so over the next several weeks, um, we see Jesus willing to engage in conversation with people who are, even when they're, even when they're trying to be a little bit manipulative, or they're trying to deflect, or they're trying to defend, or they're trying to, to whatever, they, Jesus engages. He's happy to engage. He's happy to meet you right where you are. He's happy to play the game. He's happy to argue scripture. He's happy to do all of these things. But when you want to challenge who you should worship, it sort of cuts right there, right? Away from me, Satan. You should worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is, there's no, there's no art. Jesus, when it comes to worship, worship the living God. And, and, and it's this aspect um, of, of not just his identity, but, it, but what the Messiah has come to do is to, to offer real worship and to, and to point out, to bring forth this kingdom of heaven Soon as soon as Jesus is is um, sends Satan away, angels come and minister to him, and we begin where we left off once before. And Jesus begins the ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he gathers his disciples, and he begins to preach, and he begins to proclaim, and he begins to heal, and he begins to cast out demons. He begins. To, to preach good news to the poor and the brokenhearted and gives them the attitudes of blessed or the spirit and to teach and to proclaim the kingdom that's here. And so we see in, in, in the wilderness in, through, through Jesus' time in the desert, 
exactly what the Messiah's call is. To proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. New life. New life. Transformed life in worship of the living God has taken place. How we're invited into it. It's not a ministry that's, that's preaching just wait. Just wait till you die. Right? And then you'll get this, this new life. It's, that's sort of a new new aspect of, of religion recently. Somebody went to <coughs> like a holy a holy person and said um, is, there, is there life after death? And, and the person um, said a better question is, is is there life before death? Right? This is, this is the real question that Jesus is answering now. Is there life? Is there life in the living God? Is there life for the broken? Is there life for those who are wounded? Is there life for those who are outcast? Is there life for those who are poor? Is there life only for the rich and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the rest just get crumbs of nothingness? Or is there life glorious worship of the living God available to us all. But this is the ministry that Jesus launches, right? He begins to preach, proclaim the good news of God's kingdom, of heaven existing for them right now. And as we come into this, this season of Lent, it's the same invitation slash question for us as we enter this sort of wilderness journey of, of 40 days uh, with veiled crosses and other things hidden from us because we're called to go to a desert place to be stripped down, to be veiled, that, that God can reveal new things to us, that can, God can shape our identity. And shape our call. And shape those things that we're to carry out. That we're invited to this wilderness experience. To seek what God has for us. That God invites us into. That when we come into that Easter season of, of joy and celebration and exaltation. And we come to Pentecost and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, being filled with gifts, that we take those gifts that God's given us to build up and embrace the kingdom of God. And all those around us, that we use those tools that those who we witness to and those who we live our lives with will understand that indeed, God is inviting them as beloved children as well. That they are beloved, regardless of what they think, regardless of their weaknesses, regardless of their sins and their faults. Going back to Romans, by one man's acts, all have been made righteous through the grace and glory of 
Jesus Christ, we have been made righteous. We have been justified. But we're also invited to use the gifts that God's given us, to use the identity that God has blessed us with, to share the grace and mercy and forgiveness and love with a broken world as well, with wounded people as well, that all might know 